This reading comes from Jeremiah 31, chapter 31 to 34, and can be found on page 561. The time is coming, says the, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It would not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, turn your Bibles to page 850. For Hebrews 9.11 When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that led to lead to death so that we may serve the living God? For this reason Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, that those who are called may receive the eternal promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant in the case of a will it is necessary to prove the death of the one who made it because a will is in force only when somebody has died it never takes effect while the one who made it is living this is why even the first covenant was not put into effect without blood when Moses had proclaimed every commandment of the law to all the people he took the blood of calves together with water, scarlet wool and branches of hyssop and sprinkled the scroll and all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once 
and after that to face judgment. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, please keep open that uh, passage from Hebrews. We'll be looking at it a little more closely now. Uh, if you're the kind of person who likes uh, taking notes, there are pencils uh, at the end of the, the seats and there are pads around. Uh, and if you're the kind of person who is um, not unreasonably slightly confused by bits that happen in Hebrews and you have questions or comments you'd like to make, um, these response cards are great spots uh, for you to just fill out along the way. Uh, any prayer requests as well uh, or simply just letting us know you've passed by. Uh, take advantage of those because there is a lot of obscurity in, uh, in the way that we just have Hebrews read and it feels so distant from us. So if you do have questions or comments, uh, jot them down as we go. How about we pray though that God might help us to understand his word. Lord and Father, we uh, thank you for your amazing grace. We thank you that uh, knowing what we're like, you love us despite it. Uh, We thank you for giving us your son, Jesus. And we thank you for giving us your word that in your kindness we can know you. Uh, And we pray that today as we hear your voice that we would have humble hearts to listen to what you have to say. Uh, That we learn from the example of others who heard your word and ignored it. uh, And instead we'd be people who are transformed by it to be more like Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen. Uh, At first glance, Jesus' resume is rather simple. He was born in a country town. He worked as a carpenter in the family business. Uh, He never travelled more than a few hundred kilometres from his home. Uh, He never held political office. He never wrote a book. He never married. He never attended university. Uh, Never visited a big city and only lived till the age of 33. And yet Jesus is the most famous person in all of history. More songs have been sung to him and books written about him than anyone who has ever lived. None of the parliaments that have ever sat or the kings that have ever reigned or the pop stars that ever sang or the talk show hosts that ever spoke ever had such an impact on humanity than the life and work of Jesus Christ. Ever wondered what all the fuss was about? If that seems familiar... That's the blurb on the advertisement for Simply Christianity, in case you hadn't had a chance to read it. It's that kind of fine writing on the front. Uh, Again, let me recommend it to you uh, if you have any questions about what the fuss is about Jesus. This morning, I I want us to look at one aspect of the fuss as we open Hebrews um, 8 and 9. His blood. The fuss about his blood. So 2,000 or so years ago at Golgotha, Uh, blood poured out of Jesus' side. Why is that so important? Why why the fuss? You know, lots of people have died in crucifixion. In fact, the day Jesus died, there were two others uh, with him. Uh, And lots of people have died unjustly, and lots of people have died for the sake of others. You know, think about probably the the great tradition in Australian culture of Anzacs, and we think, yeah, sacrifice. Lots of people have done that. But, But why the fuss about his particular blood being spilt? Why? Because in that moment, that the whole pattern of, of divine human relationship was recast. In Jesus' own words at the Last Supper, after supper he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. you know, when Jesus' blood was spilt, uh, as we just read in Hebrews, or Scott read for us, uh, a new covenant 
between God and us was established. Uh, Hebrews 8 and 9 uh, explicitly mentions covenant or the Latin is testament, not that that necessarily helps. Uh, over and over again, 8, 6, 8, 7, 8, 8, 8, 9, 8, 10, 8, 13, uh, 9, 1, 9, 4, 9, 15, 9, 18, 9, 20. I wasn't expecting you to get them down. Just feel the weight. Covenant's important. Okay? A covenant is a, a relationship with, with specified uh, and agreed upon terms. Okay, so it's, it's more marriage than it is friendship, as was alluded to in that Jeremiah reading that Anne gave us, uh, hinted at with God being a husband. You know, friendships don't have uh, a clear start point. You don't kind of meet someone and go, oh, so um, thinking of starting a friendship, um, this is probably where we'd like to head. Uh, we don't do that. You know, when you have a problem with a friend, you don't go back and discuss and go, you remember when we started this friendship, we said we would, you know... It's not done. They're fluid. They flu- but marriage, marriage has a date you can pinpoint and you could celebrate it each year. You know, it has terms that are set out. So it's a consent between uh, one man and one woman to exclusive love until they die. You know, at its simplest, God offered to link himself permanently to his people. You know, in covenant, I will be your God, you will be my people. That covenant between God and humanity uh, required blood to establish it. Uh, as 9.18 pointed out, uh, that in the same way that a, a last will and testament doesn't kick into action until someone dies, so the covenant didn't kick into action until there was death. Yeah. Why all the fuss about the blood of Jesus? Because unlike every other unjust death or martyrdom, his blood directly affects you. Not indirectly, it directly affects you as you live today. Because the blood of Jesus actually perfects how you and I can relate to God. And, and it frees us from, from pointless works that we can get on and actually serve him and honour him. Um, have a look at Hebrews 9 verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean, sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences inside us from acts that lead to death, so we may serve the living God. For this reason, Christ is mediator of a new covenant. Before we look at the joy of this life in the new covenant, life now after Christ's blood, Hebrews first wants us to remember the old and imperfect way. So the, the old covenant was centred on the temple. Uh, as if you could see the pictures I showed the kids before, it was a copy of the heavenly reality. Uh, it was designed to remind people of God's glory. So um, at the start of chapter 9, the, we didn't read it, but there, there's lots of gold and angelic figures in the temple to remind you you're coming into the presence of a glorious God. But it was also designed to illustrate distance. You know, there were different sections. So uh, the holy place in verse 2 in verse 3 of chapter 9, there's the most holy place where God's presence was placed. And there was barriers to remind you, don't come too close to the glorious God. Because even more, what, it, what the temple was, was a, was a blood-soaked reminder of your guilt. 9 verse 7, speaking of the most holy place, but, the, but only the high priest entered the inner room, the holy place, most holy place. And that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and the sins of the people, uh, had committed in ignorance. Now, going to the temple was like a trip to the abattoir. You know, there, was, there was violence of animals being slaughtered and, and you were involved in the process. You know, animals' blood would be kind of splashed around and sprinkled over the people. 
Uh, there would have been the stench of stale blood uh, mixed with, if you can call it, fragrance of burnt carcasses. Uh, you know, temple worship was, was an assault to the senses. So there was, you know, visually the beauty of, of the glory of the temple and its design and the gold. At the same time, there was the, the really tangible, you know, all your senses involved smell and stench of death and you interacting with it. And it was designed to ram home one particular problem with the first covenant. We people and our sin. So Hebrews 8 verse 7, flick back. Hebrews 8 verse 7. For there's been nothing wrong with that first covenant. No place would have been sought for another. But God found fault with the people. You and me. Yeah, the fundamental flaw with the old covenant was God was being faithful all the time, but his people were being treacherous. You know, it's the character of humanity is no different today. We're still steeped in sin. We might uh, pretend that we, we aren't under its power or its penalty. You know, sin as the denial of, of living the way God designed us. You know, God designed us to love him and love other people wholeheartedly. But, but we kind of move away from that and uh, we relabel it as freedom. Or relabel as I'm being authentic, you know, I'm being true to myself. And we try and cover over the damage that it causes and pretend it's not there. Uh, an opinion piece in the Boston Globe uh, this week talked about the damage that infidelity uh, has on the children involved. Uh, it cited um, recent disgraced American sports stars and politicians uh, whose sin had been exposed and named um, all their children, uh, 22 of them. Uh, Derek Jackson, the guy who wrote it, highlighted how the men involved had, had covered their faithlessness uh, as being right because you know, one of them had said, oh, now I've found my soulmate, so it's all okay. Now, Jackson made this insight. Um, here we are, a human race that can peer billions of years into, light years into space, communicate in a click with someone 20,000 kilometres away and cure all kinds of diseases. And yet we cannot find the carnal off switch. In the normal course of parenting, trust between children and fathers is a devilish ride. So why, why some dads go all out to be Satan is an enduring fascination. You know, his point is sin's damage is so obvious and yet it's so hard to find the carnal off switch. Yeah, and it's not just the problem of people who've been publicly exposed and sinned greatly. It's, it's the reality of sin in our lives uh, you know, it's probably the most easily demonstrated part of Christian truth to prove that people sin. You know, I was speaking with a non-Christian uh, friend the other day uh, about what Paul says in Romans 7. Paul talks there about how um, he sees a principle at work in his life that um, there's good he'd like to do but he doesn't do it and there's bad he doesn't want to do and he ends up doing that instead. Uh, and yeah, his friend recognised, yeah, that makes sense. That, that sounds like him. You know, the old covenant centred on the temple uh, it was a continual reminder of the distance from, from a glorious God who wanted to come close. It, it was continually and repetitively violent and there was bloodshed because it had to remind you both of your guilt but also that the system just didn't work. You know, prior to Jesus' blood being spilt, that was the experience of relating to God. Why the fuss about the blood of Jesus? Well, because what he does is he establishes the perfect way of relating to God. Um, go to the end of chapter 9, verse 27. Just as man is destined to die once and after that face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once 
to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. So Jesus' sacrifice establishes a new, a new pattern, a one-off sacrifice for the many. It was just what he promised that the Lord suffered before he died. A sacrifice that would overcome the inadequacy of that temple system that meant you had to go back year after year and just keep re-sacrificing again and again because it, it never did it. This actually deals with the problem at the core. Instead of being out there and external, it was internal. So verse 13, The blood of goats and bulls, the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those ceremonially unclean, sanctify them, what? So they're outwardly clean, outwardly. How much more the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse what? Our consciences inside us from acts that lead to death so that we might serve the living God. See, rather than being trapped in that cycle of dead, undead ceremonial works, the, the blood of Jesus actually fixes up, it perfects a relationship with God. It means that we don't have to keep coming to God, bringing useless things to him again and again. We, we can actually come and delight in serving him acceptably. We can just go off and serve and honour him. The, the blood of Christ puts a new covenant, a new way of relating into effect. Instead of us coming with, on terms of guilt and, and, and through an inadequate system, under the new covenant, um, three things. We can, one, be obedient to God. Two, we can have fellowship with God. And three, we can find forgiveness from God. Obedience, fellowship, forgiveness. That's the character of our relationship with God through the blood. Uh, have a look back at 8 verse 10. It, um, it simply picks up Jeremiah, the reading we have from Jeremiah, and it's often easier to turn one page than find an obscure large prophet in the middle of your Bible. Uh, Hebrews 8 verse 10. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will a man teach his neighbour or a man his brother saying, Know the Lord. Because they'll all know me, from the least of them to the greatest. For I'll forgive their wickedness. I'll remember their sins no more. Obedience, fellowship, forgiveness. You know, the power and penalty of sin are done away with. First of all, obedience. In the new covenant, what God does, he, he puts his laws in our hearts. You know, all laws uh, are designed to try and you know, affect the emotions, not just get your intellect. They're trying to reach inside you. So, you know, driving the other day, I, I saw how there were changes. I saw a sign saying there were changes to driving penalties uh, again. You know, we keep changing. The government keeps changing because what the government want to do is, is find a way to reach into our hearts that makes us want to obey the laws. You know, and they've discovered that the stick works a lot better than the carrot. Uh, and so they keep changing the size of the stick. Uh, because they want to touch us on the inside. They want to make us that we actually want to you know, drive through that 40 roadwork zone where there's no one at work and you're thinking, it's still 40 and, and everything inside you is crying out to go 60, 70 or 80. But you know, to reach into our hearts that we actually want to obey the laws. You know, the problem with the old covenant is that God's laws were good, we just didn't want to obey them because we were under sin's power. But God flicks the carnal switch he reshapes our heart to actually grieve uh, sin and delight in the goodness of his ways. So there are parts of God's word that are really hard sounding because they're so countercultural. And yet under the new covenant, because of the blood of Christ, 
his people actually delight in it. So I've seen Christians choose to forsake the prospect of marriage to uh, an unbeliever, not because there was a heavy law on them, uh, but because their hearts longed for the kind of marriage that God recommends. I've known Christians who've handed back significant amounts of money uh, that come across their path that wasn't theirs, um, not, not because they were caught, but because their hearts cherished God's ways. You know, uh, Christians who speak thankfully rather than whinging because their language flows from the heart. It's not regulated by rules. You know, I know of a family who sold their farm intending to buy a house in town, uh, but they ended up giving away their savings to others they saw in need, and so they're continuing to rent. And not because there was a law out there, but because they had a heart that loved God. Obedience. Obedience and fellowship. Second one, fellowship. I will be their God, they will be my people. That's the promise. Uh, That's the mutual obligation of the covenant, you know, uh, loyalty to each other. But the new covenant highlights a directness in that. Uh, That you don't need to go through the temple, you don't need to go through priests and other people, you go straight through Jesus to God. That's the gist of um, verse 11, 811. You know, there's no hierarchy in, in terms of relating to God. Uh, when he says that, you know, no longer will people teach each other, he's not saying there's no value in Christian fellowship. Uh, there's great value in it. We're going to hear more about it next week as we look at Hebrews 10. Uh, but the new covenant is all about direct access. It's the opposite of temple worship. There aren't categories of people who are closer to God and a bit further away. It's not like the people who are at the front of church are somehow better off than those who are sitting at the back. No, no, no. It, it, you access God direct through Jesus. It's what inspired the, the reformers that they wanted to translate the Bible and get it into the, the hands of the ploughboy, i.e. The, the kind of lowest rung, the simplest folk, because uh, so, they can access God too. You know, the blood of Christ doesn't draw distinctions between the people who can come close to him and the people who have to keep their distance. You know, that power of sin that kept us distant from God is actually destroyed in the blood of Jesus. Obedience, fellowship, forgiveness. Forgiveness. Uh, in, in the New Covenant, sins are no longer remembered. Um, it's not that God's got a bad memory. Don't be thinking that. Uh, remembrance isn't about the ability to call things to mind. Uh, real remembrance is about acting on what you said. Uh, so I, I had a meeting with someone uh, recently and uh, they were running about 15 minutes late so I gave them a call just to see if all was okay um, and the person told me, oh no, doing fine, hadn't forgot we were meeting. They were still though doing something else 20 minutes away. Uh, he told me I hadn't forgotten we were meeting but actually in practice, just because you recalled we were meeting up but didn't do anything about it, that's, that's forgetting. Remembrance is about acting on it. The blood of Christ means that our sins are not forgotten by are forgotten by God. It's not that He doesn't remember that you know. Oh yeah, you did that evil thing. It's He no longer holds it against us. We are no longer condemned. We are no longer under the penalty of sin. Uh, William Cooper, um, his name's spelt Cowper, but trust me, it's said Cooper. Uh, William Cooper was uh, an English lawyer in the 1700s, uh, well educated and respectable man. Uh, but he was also given to, to uh, fits of depression. Uh, we'd probably categorise him now as uh, you know, schizophrenic episodes. Uh, when he was 32, he tried three times to commit suicide. He uh, tried poison, 
He tried jumping from a wharf uh, and finally tried hanging himself. Uh, and when the, the garter uh, snapped that he was trying to hang himself from, uh, his life was spared, but he was driven to further despair that he couldn't even manage to do this. Uh, he, he kind of he talks about how he felt a complete contempt for himself that he couldn't even express. He would walk down the streets uh, and he felt like every eye flashed upon him with scorn and indignation. And uh, he felt as if he'd offended God so deeply uh, that his guilt could never be forgiven. And his whole heart was just kind of filled with those pangs of despair. He was a guy who understood, I suppose, the experience of going to the temple. He knew what it was to mourn his sin, but, but he hadn't gripped the power of Jesus' crucifixion. It wasn't long after that third attempt that he came to understand that the, the cleansing from sin was from any, for any and every conscience, now, even his. Uh, later that year, he wrote a song with these lines, "'There is a fountain filled with blood.'" drawn from Emmanuel's veins. And sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Lose all their guilty stains. Now, William Cooper, he understood what Jesus' blood was doing. Purifying us that we could actually go and serve God, washing it away, the power and penalty of sin, that new covenant relationship. Now, if you've ever felt weighed down by your sin... If you've ever felt like you've done something that makes you unworthy before God, uh, let me tell you, you are right. You aren't worthy. But if you think Jesus' blood can't deal with that, then you are mistaken. It can and does completely. In Christ, none of those sins are remembered. What's the fuss about Jesus' blood? For those first readers, they they need to see how much better it was to be in Christ because for them, their their whole experience of relating to God had been turned upside down. You know, they were being asked to to leave the temple behind and that was everything they knew about how to relate to God. It it was their culture and, and it was, you know, bound up in their identity and it was hard and to this day, Jewish people are still passionate for the temple and the Wailing Wall and there's been endless bloodshed in an attempt to kind of reclaim that land where the temple was. Even if the system was inadequate and left them guilty, it, it's just really hard to let go of what you see as central to communicating to God. And even for us today, uh, the complete sacrifice of Christ means letting go of perhaps what we treasure most when we come to God. It, it means letting go of any notion that you bring a contribution that makes you acceptable. And our world that operates on merit, uh, you know, that's hard to hear, isn't it? We're so used to hearing that what we do brings us success, but no, no, the blood of Christ means walk away from that idea because there is something better. In the same way that those first Christians had to leave temple worship. Uh, perhaps the song that we're about to sing, Rock of Ages, best captures the fuss. Hey, let me read you some of the words before uh, we sing it together. Rock of Ages, cleft for me. Hide me now, my refuge be. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flow be for sin the double cure. Cleanse me from its guilt and power. Not the labour of my hands can fulfil thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin couldn't atone. 
You must save. And you alone. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress. Helpless look to thee for grace. Stained by sin to you I cry. Wash me, Saviour, or I die. Let's pray. Our Lord and Father, we thank you for the blood of Christ. We thank you for his willingness to sacrifice himself uh, that we might have life. Father, we pray that we would be willing to put our trust completely in him and that we would go out delighting in being free from uh, pointless works to actually worship you. Help us to delight in uh, obeying you. Help us to rejoice in being in fellowship with you. Uh, Help us to be people who hang on to the forgiveness you offer. May we continue to always see uh, the importance, the fuss of the blood of Christ and how it changes us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.